Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and the generous gifts of our listeners to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. If you don't already partner with Fighting for the Faith, visit our website at fightingforthefaith.com and click on one of our friendly yellow buttons. One says join our crew, the other says donate. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $8.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. If you want to specify the amount, you click on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. And let me thank you for your support. We cannot do what we are doing here without it. And now, on to the program. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Friday, February 7th, 2014. You know, I'm as excited about this episode as I was about last Friday's episode. The sermon, the good sermon that we're going to be reviewing today... I mean, the gospel comes out of nowhere. At least that's what it, it's like. And it is so good. <laughs> it's just brilliant. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Sadly, there's no shortage of crazy things being said out there. We slow down, open up our Bibles, and we check to see if what people be telling us is true. Now, last week's episode, I kind of have to set up this week's episode by appealing to last week's episode. Last Friday's episode of Fighting for the Faith, it was uh, the dichotomy between, you know, drunk on deceit or sober on the truth. That was kind of the dichotomy that I set up for the program. And today's program is very similar to that. The first hour is, oh man, (laughs) it's a train wreck. It's an absolute train wreck. And uh, we're I I almost feel like somebody's going to you know end up like claiming that I'm in in breach of you know the Geneva Convention or something you know that I'm torturing my audience first hour today yeah I could just see the you know, UN showing up at my door you know we're going to have to take you away um <laughs> you are guilty of cruel and unusual punishment something like that but um <laughs> the uh I, it's just bizarre, you know. In every, I, you should see how I do my research, okay? And uh, you know, it's kind of like drinking from a fire hose because there's so much stuff that goes by so quickly. And uh, you know, I have these different research tools to help me, and now I actually have help with a little bit of my research online. But um, you know, f- finding these things that you know, you know, you find something, and then you kind of have to put it over here. You find something else, you put it over there, and then you know, I, ca- I try to catalog the the different things. You know, what's you know, what's the error here? What you know, what theme could I work that into in a program and things like that? And and <laughs> then you know, you just have this wild card pile. And the wild card pile can have some just crazy things in it. And today we're going to at least two of the segments in the first hour are going to be from my wild card 
uh, pile. And <laughs> it's just so bad, you know. And the 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 bizarre thing, okay, is <clears throat> I it, I <clears throat> each of the things we'll be listening to in hour number one. No joke, they are they are being delivered in extremely large churches with ginormous audiences. I mean, from Matt Sorger to Cindy Jacobs to T.D. Jakes. I mean, that's who we're going to be listening to in hour number one. And um, even Matt Sorger, when he, you know, the video uh, that we're, you know, that I'm going to be playing, I'll be playing the audio from the video. I mean, if you could see what I would see, what I'm seeing, I mean, no joke. I mean, I, you know, I'm a member of, you know, a, a, a fairly small Lutheran church in uh, in the Indianapolis area. And, you know, on any given Sunday, we've got, you know, maybe 100, 150 people, you know, and, you know, of course, if the weather's really bad, and it's been bad for, um, you know, a few weeks here in uh, Indianapolis, you know, you know, it, it might, we might only get like 60, 75 people. And so, you know, I, the, the, the audio of the video that we're going to be playing, Matt Sorger is in front of an audience that is easily four, five, six hundred people. And you're thinking, how is this possible? Why are so many people coming to hear this nonsense? And then we'll switch gears to Cindy Jacobs. And Cindy Jacobs, I mean, she's going to be prophesied. <laughs> and, oh, man. I mean, it, you know, and again, I think this is a misuse of the word prophecy when we're actually, you know, when the person supposedly doing it is Cindy Jacobs. But no joke, the church that she's in easily seats 1,500, 2,000 people, and the place is packed. It's absolutely packed. And then we're going to switch gears and go to T.D. Jakes. And T.D. Jakes, of course, you know, the Potter's House out there in uh, Texas, I mean, that place is a ginormous megachurch, and the audience is a gazillion people because he broadcasts his services, you know, on uh, Trinity Broadcasting Network. And he's the slicker of the, of them all, but... Um, you know, so just keep in mind what you're going to hear in hour number one. I don't know how to prepare you for it. I will be playing the our, our warning uh, before we get into it. And then in hour number two, hour number two, we'll switch gears and we're going to we're going to take the ship into port on a good sermon. And um, it's it, it, I sent out. In fact, I sent out a Facebook status uh, before coming on the air today. And uh, we're, we're going to be listening to a sermon by Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley. And the text he's going to be preaching from is Genesis chapter 19, which is the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah, um, Lot's wife turning into a pillar of salt, and Lot's daughters getting him drunk and sleeping with him and um, and getting pregnant and bearing children. And you're thinking... You said it was a brilliant gospel sermon. Yes, I did. And you're thinking, well, how do you pull the gospel out of that? And believe me when I tell you, Pastor Charmley not only pulls the gospel out of it, he does it brilliantly in a way that will make you think, oh my goodness, it was staring me right in the face the whole time. The gospel's right there in Genesis chapter 19. It is right there. And he he just points to the obvious and then preaches Christ from that text. And it is 
just fantastic. It's it's one of those things where you know after listening to the sermon, I was like, oh, I got to play this on the air. I can't wait to play this on the air, man. When do I get to record my program? I can't wait for people to hear this this sermon. It's just, I mean, and the dichotomy between hour number one and hour number two is the dichotomy between nonsense and lucidity truth or error versus truth darkness versus light i mean it's just that stark and um yeah you'll you'll get to see what i'm saying and of course here's the deal um you know take a look at who are the people who have the huge churches okay it's not pastor charmley it's the ones who are speaking gobbledygook and complete nonsense and preaching themselves and weird things from these texts that don't make any sense. Yet Pastor Charmley is just a faithful pastor of a small congregation in Hanley, Stoke-on-Trent, and um, and he's the one preaching the truth. And so, I mean, anyway, that's what we're going to do today. So it's you know kind of similar to last Friday's episode of Fighting for the Faith. And since what you're going to be hearing today is way out there, I mean, so, so, I mean, we're going to ease into it. Matt Sorger is going to be weird, but once we switch gears and get into Cindy Jacobs, <laughs> there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's all I'm saying. And and then you know we'll we'll round out with uh with TD Jake. So that's what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. I will play the standard warning. I, in fact, I was I was on Amy Spreeman's um, uh, program. She's uh, she broadcasts up in Wisconsin, and uh, you know, I, her, the name of her program is Stand Up for the Truth. And I was on her program talking about. Um, the creeds, you know, and the importance of creeds, which seems like a, you know, you know, kind of a foreign topic for, you know, a standard evangelical radio program. But it was a great uh, interview, and you can find it at her website, StandUpForTheTruth.com. But um, during, uh, you know, as we, you know, she called me, you know, they called me early uh, for the uh, the interview, and I was on the line with her. And she was telling me how she almost died because she almost drove into a ditch because of something she heard on Fighting for the Faith. So listen, I'm fully aware that this is a dangerous radio program to listen to, and which is one of the reasons why we play our standard warning here from time to time. So, you know, that I, you know, listen, if something terrible should befall you while listening to this program, it's, you know... (laughs) I've got all the legal ease in in place. You know, listen, you were warned. This this is a program that could lead to your demise if if you don't take the proper safety precautions. So let me play the standard uh, warning, and then we'll get right into the program. Here we go. Warning: Fighting for the faith can be dangerous to your health. Listening with caution is strongly urged while doing any of the following activities: operating heavy, deadly equipment, playing Farmville, or any time-wasting, brain-numbing activity. For sudden awakening at the sound of a particularly stupid isogetical statement could cause neck strain. Drinking liquids, drinking hot liquids, having liquids too nearby, not having any liquids nearby. The following medical conditions have been known to occur while listening to Fighting for the Faith. Cranial keyboard embedment syndrome, sinew nasal liquid spewment disorder, steering wheel pounding clenched fist strain, continual gaping dry mouth atosis, and frustrative disbelief brain explosion. Please take proper precautions. Drinking straws, padding, and duct tape are recommended. You have been warned. All right, uh, so if you think that Roman Catholics are the only people having Marian um, <laughs> visions, visions of the Virgin Mary and things like that, well, you got another thing coming. 
Uh, Matt Sorger, uh, one of the uh, broadcast partners at xpmedia.com. That would be the uh, website put out by Patricia King and the gang. Um, Matt Sorger, in his uh, (laughs) recently posted message entitled, Is Your DNA Born Again? (laughs) Oh, man. I just want to scream sometimes. Okay, so that's the name of the message. The name of the message you're going to be listening to is, Is Your DNA Born Again? And you are going to hear Matt Sorger wax eloquent about an apparent Marian apparition um, vision thingy that he had. That's right, Dio, an apparition or a vision of the Virgin Mary. Uh Uh-huh. Stay tuned. Here we go. We're raised through our union with Christ. We're one with him. We're one with him. Your new creation. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. How many have ever heard that? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. That you're born again. You're a new creation. You know, for years, that, that was one of the first teachings I ever heard as a new believer. That now my body becomes the temple of God and he's living on the inside of me. And I'm a new creation. I'm, I'm born again. And Nicodemus was like, what does that mean? You have to go back in your mother's womb and be born a second time. And Jesus is like, no, what's born of the spirit is spirit. What's born of the flesh is flesh. This is something of a spiritual dimension. What does that mean? And for years I thought, I just kind of took for granted that I understood that I'm a new creation. I'm a new person in Jesus. Yes, I'm a new person in Jesus. All things have passed away. All things have become new. And for years I thought I understood what it meant until just this past year when God gave me a vision in worship. And in worship, I saw Mary. And I saw the Holy Spirit overshadow her. Remember in the Bible where the angel says the Holy Spirit will overshadow you, Mary, and you'll conceive a son and call him Jesus. And I saw the Holy Spirit overshadowing Mary and the Lord magnified my vision down to the molecular DNA level of what was transpiring in that. And as yeah, if you believe this, um, well, I'd like to sell you some beachfront property in the state of Nevada. Oh man. In fact, I can give it to you at a discount. Just trust me, trust me. You'll love it. Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary I saw the DNA of Mary, the chromosomes. You know what a DNA looks like? It's like two strands that are wrapped around each other like that. That's what DNA looks like. And then I saw the Holy Spirit. And on the inside of the Holy Spirit, I saw spiritual DNA. Because the Holy Spirit is a person. He has a personality. He has thoughts. He has feelings. He has D- so, so the Holy Spirit has spiritual DNA. Uh-huh. That makes the substance. It's spiritual DNA. And I saw his DNA and I saw Mary's DNA and I saw in my mind the way I saw it was like two strands of of chromosomes, two strands of DNA wrap around each other forming a brand new person, some DNA from Mary, some DNA from the Holy Spirit and it formed the Christ child. And she gave birth to Jesus, fully God, fully man, who would become the savior of mankind. Mm. So while you were having this DNA um, vision, uh, the vision of the Holy Spirit's DNA and Mary's DNA. Yeah, I just have to ask, were you visiting the city of Seattle or Denver? You know, the reason I ask this is because, you know, they have made it legal now for you to um, smoke pot in um, in Washington and Colorado. And so, you know, I'm just I need to ask if there were any illicit narcotics or drugs involved in this particular vision. And then I saw me. And I see myself getting saved and I see Holy Spirit coming over my life and into me. 
and my body becoming the temple of the Holy Spirit. And at this point, the Lord magnifies my vision. And I see my human DNA. I see my human nature, my fallen, sinful human nature that makes me who I am. And then I saw the person of the Holy Spirit and his divine DNA, his divine nature. And this is how I saw it. I saw my spirit and the Holy Spirit, my human spirit and the Holy Spirit, like two strands of DNA or two strands that form the DNA molecule. And I saw the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, wrap himself around my human spirit. As he wrapped himself around my human spirit, he fused himself together with my spirit, forming a brand new person called the new creation. I saw my human nature DNA and I saw the divine DNA of the Holy Spirit fused together, becoming one with each other, forming what we call the new creation. Now, why should we believe that this was a a real vision whose origin is God, the Holy Spirit? When Matt Sorger, every single time we've uh, reviewed anything by him, he is a complete shameless twister of God's word, and he teaches false doctrine. Why should we believe that God, the Holy Spirit, was there making it so that he could see the Holy Spirit's spiritual DNA and that he had a that he had a true vision of the Virgin Mary and was able to watch her down on the molecular level. Why should we believe that God the Holy Spirit had anything at all to do with this? I can't think of a single reason why I would think that this has anything to do with sound biblical doctrine or what God wants us to know, uh, because the messenger himself is so completely inept at his ability to handle God's word correctly, that I don't think God the Holy Spirit is going to be giving visions to men like Matt Sorger. Instead, this sounds like a, um, how do I put it, a story, a yarn, um, you get what a fable that he's telling. And here everyone's amening this, but he's not actually preaching a biblical text. He's exegeting a molecular DNA vision that he's supposedly had what we call being born again of the spirit. And I saw the very divine nature of God fused with my human spirit. And you know what? For years, as I saw my body as the temple of the Holy Spirit, I just figured somewhere in me, the Holy Spirit was hanging out and dwelling somewhere. So so the Holy Spirit has fused with your DNA. Uh Uh-huh. The Bible doesn't teach this. Me. Like I had my human spirit, my soul, and then the Holy Spirit. And I saw them as three different entities. But you know what the Bible says? All right. So you get the idea. So apparently Matt Sorger has had a Marian vision down on the molecular DNA level. And um, yeah, kind of shows you uh, the fraud, the fraudulent counterfeit nonsense that's being passed off. And again, that church had a lot of people, several hundred people in it, all showing up to hear Matt Sorger preach. And my question is, why? Why? (laughs) They weren't hearing the truth. They were hearing complete and utter nonsense from a messenger who is um, dubious at best, dubious at, you know, at, at best at all. So you get what I'm saying. 
All right, we are going to go ahead and uh, take our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we have a Cindy Jacobs update and a TD Jakes update. Don't want to miss it. We will be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Yeah, just up ahead is a path that will lead us to the main highway. Yeah, I, I hear the traffic from here. That was a nice little hike. I do enjoy this trail. It's just a simple three-hour hike. Hey, what's that up ahead? I have no idea. Let's check it out. It looks like a journal of some sort. It's really beat up. Should we read it? Well, we've got nothing better to do. Sounds good to me. Day one. Today is my first day of the Emmaus Walk. My church counselor, Gary Sunshine, told me that if I went out into the wilderness and believed and trusted in Jesus, that Jesus would come and walk with me and communicate to me. So I packed enough provisions to last me for a few days. Day two. Still no sign of Jesus. I've dedicated myself to meditating to bring myself closer to his presence. I hope it happens soon. Day three. I think I figured out what I've been doing wrong. I haven't been trusting Jesus enough with my walk. Now I've decided to go to the deeper parts of this jungle because I don't think that Jesus would associate himself with just the fringes of the forest. I think he needs to see that I'm audacious, so I'm going to forget the comforts I've brought entirely. Looks like some of the pages have been ripped out. It doesn't pick up again until... Day 9. Today, my stock of toilet paper ran out, and still no signs from Jesus. I should have enough food to get me back to civilization, but I think that Mr. Sunshine will be disappointed that my journey wasn't more fruitful. I think it's because I wasn't listening hard enough to Jesus. Day nine and a half. I think I'm lost. I think I took a wrong turn. 
Everything is starting to look really foreign and unfamiliar. Day 14. Today, my tent was attacked by a bear and was ripped to shreds. I just barely escaped, but I'm going to have to start foraging for my own food. I can only hope that I find my way back. Day 34. Today, I came across an indigenous tribe that was building a large metal sphere that looked far superior to any military technology. I was chased by them for about 15 miles. I'm really hungry. Day 42. I don't think I'm ever going to get out, and I just realized that I don't think I left Mr. Snuggles enough food to make it for this long. So far, still no sign of Jesus or enlightenment. I'm beginning to think that Mr. Sunshine was lying about the Emmaus Walk. Day 88. I think I'm done. I've gone through months of hunting for food with... Nothing more than a spork from Chuck E. Cheese's. I'm not even hungry anymore. I don't think that's good. Day 102. If you're reading this, then I hope that you're not as miserably lost as I am. There's no way out. The Emmaus Walk walk is is a trap. If your church even so much as suggests the idea, then run for your life, because once you're on that path, there's no going back. I can promise you that Jesus is not in these woods. I can't blame him. I don't want to be here either. I can't do this anymore. I give up. She must have died while writing it. She wouldn't have written... She would have just said it and then died. Well, on any account, we'll never do an Emmaus walk. Yeah, I hear you there. Wait, have you ever heard of any of the mega pastors doing an Emmaus walk themselves? You know what? I haven't. (laughs) Maybe the world would be better off if they did. (laughs) Don't pay more for travel than you need to. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to tell you about Pirate Christian Radio's featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Cheapo Air is a leading provider of airline tickets, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Cheapo Air has extensive partnerships with the top travel brands in the world. Now, whether you need to travel for business or for pleasure, Cheapo Air can help you save money. And if you visit our website, piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, We have a promo code that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. So visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, then click on the banner and book your low-cost travel today. And remember, a portion of your purchase at Cheapo Air goes to support Pirate Christian Radio. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause frustrative disbelief brain explosion. Some of the theology we cover here is just bizarre. 
just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you are signing up to automatically contribute $8.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio, and it is a great way to support us. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, and then send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038, and let me thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your support. We cannot do what we are doing here without it. Okay, moving along. Our next segment here, we've got a a Cindy Jacobs update, and we've got to play our Cindy Jacobs update music, which requires me to do, well, this. Chief, what do you want to do tonight? Same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. The Pinky and the Brain. Yes, Pinky and the Brain. One is a genius, the other's insane. The laboratory mice, the genes have been sliced. They're Pinky, they're Pinky and the Brain, 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 Brain. Before each night is done, their plan will be unfurled. By the dawning of the sun, they'll take over the world. They're Pinky and the Brain, yes, Pinky and the Brain. The twilight campaign is easy to explain. To prove their mousy worth, they'll overthrow the earth. They're Pinky, they're Pinky and the Brain, 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 Brain. Now, what we're about to uh, listen to, um, (laughs) oh, man, we are about to listen to a montage of um, prophetic utterances for the year 2014 from Cindy Jacobs. Um, This is a video uh, recently put together by uh, the, the people who actually got to experience uh, Cindy Jacobs delivering these prophetic utterances live. And um, all I can say is please, please take all the proper necessary precautions to, um, to listen to this next portion responsibly and make sure that you don't end up driving your car into a ditch or into a telephone pole or something like that. So without any further ado, here is the 2014 Year of Double Portion Prophecy Montage from Cindy Jacobs. Here we go. Father, I thank you for the message this morning, Lord. I'm asking you to give me the word of the Lord for a new year. A word that can guide us, set a course in the mighty name of Jesus. And all the people said, Amen. Amen. Well, hello, family. Welcome those watching our family by the web. The Lord says over the business community, it's time to rise and shine. God is going to visit the business community and there will be a special and unique emphasis. It's time for the marketplace to arise. And these leaders that have had dreams that have been on pause, dreams that have seen barren ideas, visions, business startups. The Lord says this will be the year of the business startups in one of the greatest ways. Listen, if you have a business, you get ready because God is getting 
business. Yeah, it's true. It's called Pirate Christian Radio, and we're all about exposing heretics like you. So I'm excited about this uh, business anointing and uh, what it's going to mean for my ability to even further expose the false teaching of folks like <laughs> Cindy Jacobs. Prepare, because the camels are coming, and the blessing of God is... <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't need any camels. Um yeah, can you tell God that if he wants to bless my business this year that he can keep the camels? Um I I don't I we listen in our neighborhood we don't have a place for them. We're not zoned for camels. Although there's, you know, there's a place not too far down the road from us. You know, the the folks there, they've got, you know, horses and llamas, you know. So, you know, but I don't really want to pay for the room and board and, you know, for feeding, you know, camels and stuff. So you can keep the camels. Get ready to receive something new. Amen. Every year we meet with a group of prophets called the Apostolic Council of Prophetic Elders. Will uh, and DeHavlin Ford are on. Uh huh. So yeah, the Apostolic Council of Prophetic Elders. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. This is kind of like the Justice League, but the evil version of it. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas the Justice League is all about. You know, fighting for the truth and, and the enemy. This is the reverse. This is kind of like you know, Doctor Evil sits at the uh, the head of the table there, and and uh, and they help plot you know prophetic deceit. And that Sam Brassfield's on it, and other leaders, Dutch and uh, Sheets is on that as well, and many that you would recognize. And we've been meeting since 1999. As we seek the Lord together, this year was a real challenge because. That weekend we were supposed to meet in November, an ice storm was predicted, a terrible ice storm, but we began to legislate, and they called that weekend the storm that never was. Ah, yeah. So they had an ice storm coming their way, and they were able to prophetically just steer it away. Uh-huh. Yeah, where was Cindy Jacobs you know, last week when the uh, when the uh, the big blizzard hit Indianapolis? And, you know, we've, of course, we've had like sub-zero temperatures here. Um, boy, we could have really used her help back then, you know? Amen, because God gave us great authority, and finally we were all able to get in. It's quite a job to compile such a word as you can imagine, because we have 30 prophets all prophesying. So Mike and I just work hours trying to distill what God is saying. The Lord. <laughs> Why would you need to distill it? Uh, do you think Isaiah spent you know hours and hours trying to decipher and distill what he thought God was trying to say? No, because he didn't have to think about God, what God was trying to say. God just spoke to him in a way that he was able to just take it down. Yeah, that, see, that's the thing about prophets is they actually are not speaking on their own authority. They're speaking on the authority of the one who sends them, and that would be God. And, and you don't have to try to figure out what he's saying because he know, God knows how to actually speak English. Uh-huh. He, he knows how to speak English. He knows how to speak Chinese. He, know, he can communicate to anybody in any language and do so lucidly. And so if 30 prophets are all supposedly getting a direct revelation from God and you're having to spend all these hours trying to figure out what God's saying, um, I think there's something wrong. Maybe you're, uh, you're not hearing from the Lord. The Lord has given us a, a, a promise that if we would come together, it would be Acts 13, an Antioch word, where it wasn't just one prophet. A- an Antioch word. Uh-huh. But it was a, the Holy Spirit said. And I want to give you some good news. 
Unlike 2013, which I almost hated to give the word of the Lord for 2013. And how many are glad to see 2013 gone? Can I see hands? A lot of people are saying, thank God 2013 is over. I'm so glad we're starting. Do you think that by yelling, it actually lends more authority to your false prophecies? New Year. Well, 2014 is going to be the year of the double portion, the year of restitution, the year where God gives back what Satan has stolen. This is the spiritual significance, both in the Hebraic calendar that began in September 5774 and the year 2014. There is a divine convergence. Typologically, the Hebraic year indicates that we will see the door. That's what the symbols mean. We will see the way in which we should go. The Lord showed us that there has been confusion. So there's a Hebraic year like the Chinese year. This is the year of the horse now. So this is the Hebraic year of the horse. I mean the door. Uh-huh. Hebraic year of the door. Mm-hmm. Fusion on many people's parts. And that people have been not able to see direction. You haven't understood what you should do or, or what God wanted you to do. But in 2014, the clouds are going to roll away. Can you shout for that? You're going to be able to know what to do. You're going to see the door. You're going to see what, you're, what you should do and how to engage. 2014 is also very interesting because two sevens mean 14. What does that mean? You- <laughs> Uh-oh. Have you been going to the, um, the William Tapley School of Prophetic Numerology? Two sevens equal 14. Okay. Year of double completion, a year of double portion. We're not trying to be too mystical, but the Bible is, is this like, you know, um, the spiritual um, astrology that you're engaged in here It's a book of numbers. It is a book of numbers. And God gave us Isaiah 45, one through three. Thus says to the Lord, to Cyrus, whose right hand I've upheld to subdue to who to Cyrus. Do nations before him and loose the armor of kings to open before him what? Double doors. Yeah, that was to King Cyrus. So that the gates will not be shut. You know, the Bible says, in Isaiah 65, I believe it's 11, it says, and the gates shall be open continually. Why? So that you will see... The wealth of the Gentiles coming to you. So what is happening is we, many of you have had prosperity open, prosperity shut. You've had a flow, and then it seems like the door is shut. But this is a year, listen to me, that you will see the way to go. You know, God means to bless you. The gate should be open continually. But you know what? You've got to be a doer of the word. The word works. Yeah, I still can't get over the fact. I mean... Where she's delivering this, I mean, the place is packed. Easily seats 1,000, 1,500, 2,000 people. The, there is, like, not an empty seat. Why on earth would anybody who calls themselves a Christian want to go and hear this nonsense? If Cindy Jacobs is really hearing from God the Holy Spirit, then Millie Vanilli was the greatest band that ever walked and played the earth. You know what I'm saying? 
Yeah, we continue. Works to those who work the word. You've got to believe the Lord that God wants to bless you. Why? To be a blessing. We've got a lot of nations to go to. We've got a lot of things we need to do. We have silos for revival. Amen. God spoke to us a very precious word that in this year there were revival babies being born. <laughs> Oh, wow. In 2014, there's revival babies being born. Oh, boy. You know, giving birth to a child, you could say that's a gateway. And I think even in our own church, how many, you know, we have Laura Allred pregnant and, and we have De Havilland Ford pregnant and our, our daughter-in-law, Janae, is pregnant. And so we see that many others, you know, are going to have revival babies, children that are being born right now. Four revivals. So we're encouraged what God is saying. We also So if you're going to give birth in 2014, you might have a revival baby. So no, there'll be some continued shakings, but God is going to release a blessing as well. In fact, one of the prophets has sent a word that I included saying that we need to pray because there were new superstorms coming and that there was going to be unusual weather patterns. Even as I give the word this morning, I Googled the weather and it said, you know, like storm of the century, there's flooding in Wales and, and different countries are having devastating storm. Record cold weather is hitting the East Coast. So we see already the prophets were right. It's fascinating because there was a big a uh, superstorm that hit the Philippines. And I received an email from the houses of prayer in the Philippines. And God had spoken to some of them that that storm was coming. And they began to pray and decree that, that it would not hit them. And that storm just split and made a V and went around them. It's just amazing. So this year, God is saying, it's time to stand on watch. It's time to stand on watch that God would have you pray against disasters. And so be. So I need to stand on watch. I need to be in business and I need to have a revival baby. And then I need to uh, pray against superstorms. Uh huh. Right. Yeah. Um, As you can tell, this is utter and complete nonsense. And we're only seven minutes into this. This. This nonsensical, non-lucid diatribe that's, that that she claims is prophetic insight from God the Holy Spirit goes on for another 23 minutes. I'm thinking about just putting this whole thing up at the Museum of Idolatry and just ask the question, authentic fire, question mark? Really? <laughs> There's no reason. And we have proof from past episodes of Fighting for the Faith where Cindy Jacobs has readily admitted that she doesn't get it all right on her prophecy. She's a self-admitted false prophet. All right. Last segment. We need to uh, play our uh, update music for T.D. Jakes. Here we go. Don't want no loving. Don't want no kissing. Don't want no gal to call me honey. Don't want my name in the Hall of Fame. Just want a big fat pile of money. Give me that almighty dollar for that lettuce. Hear me holler. Give me buckets full of ducats. Let me walk around and waller in Mazuma. Elder Nero, wanna be a millionaire? Give me money, 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 money. I want that green ammunition. That's the stuff for which I'm wishing. Fill my closets with deposits. I'm a demon in addition. Give me shekels, give me pesos. Let me see their smiling faces. Money, 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 money. Get me a suit that's made out of oof and whistle for wearing it in green. 
I got that monetary itis like speeches like King Midas. Want that golden touch is what I mean. Give me that old double eagle. Want that tender that is legal and financially substantially. And there's some I can and beagle. Want a living regal splendor with that loving legal tender. Money, 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 money. That's right, that's Dr. Teeth of The Muppet Show and his rendition of Money, Money, Money. That's our uh, T.D. Jakes and Money Grubbing Televangelist update music. Okay, so what we're going to be listening to is um, a message from T.D. Jakes that aired on TBN recently. And obviously he preached it at the Potter's House out there in Dallas, Texas. And the name of the message is Stuck at the Crossroad. Stuck at the crossroad. Now, what we're going to hear, it's going to start off in such a way that you're thinking, what could possibly go wrong with this? And, I mean, for all of the good start that uh, T.D. Jakes uh, makes in this um, message, he takes an abrupt, hard turn towards the me-centered, narcissistic um, interpretation at a very rapid pace is probably the best way that I could put it. So um, just get ready for, you know, you might want to put on, you know, some kind of a neck brace is because we're going to be experiencing a, a wee bit of whiplash. And uh, I'm even tempted to uh, throw in the buzzer here as soon as he makes the turn because it's an illegal turn. Yeah, it's one of those things you just sit there and go, how on earth did he do that? So, yeah, and the message is, well, it's going to start off talking about Palm Sunday from the gospel text from the Gospel of John, chapter 12. So here's T.D. Jakes. Again, it starts off great and then takes a severely horrible turn. Here we go. It is not a mandate that we honor Palm Sunday. There's nothing written by the uh, Pauline epistles or any other epistles that establishes this as a particular uh, 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 day that we must commemorate or honor. And yet there is something significant about this Palm Sunday. Much of the Old Testament is quite quiet about Palm Sunday. There's not a lot said. There is some mention about palm trees, but there are not many shadows and types that point to this particular occurrence that it's the initiation moment that sets his feet on a place called straight that he might begin to go toward Jerusalem. The reason you do not see much talk about this in the Old Testament is that this particular custom of honoring warriors and soldiers who came back from battles with victory was not immersed in the Jewish tradition of Old Testament theology. No, this is foreign to Judaism. This is born out of the Roman Empire. And generally, whenever a soldier came back from the battle with the victory, they would commemorate his victory by laying palms down before him or giving him palms to wave or to wear to signify the fact that he was victorious. It is a Roman tradition that you would stand there with a palm as a sign that you had been to battle and had gotten the victory. Are you following what I'm saying? 
So then, my brothers and sisters, this particularly has significance to me uh, because when I was traveling over into Africa and I had the privilege of sitting with King Umswati and I came and I came into the palace to be greeted by the king and the monarchy there in Swaziland. And when the king came out, his crown was made of feathers. And when I thought about him, I got a clear understanding that this, this influence of taking natural things that have great significance is foreign to our Western culture because we only honor things that are made out of gold or silver or diamonds because all of our values are tied up in capitalism and commodities. But to other cultures, they put a lot of emphasis on the symbolism of what something means rather than the ingredients and the components. Here comes the king of Swaziland out to greet me with feathers on each side of his head. And no one was allowed to wear them the way the king did because all of those in the kingdom knew what the feathers meant. It is the same significance that we see with the Palm Sunday. The value is not in the palm itself. It is in what it represents. This is a symbol of victory. It was a crown of distinction. To have palms laid in your way as you came back home was symbolic of the fact that you were victorious. All right. Now, okay, there, that's all intro. And am I going to quibble with any of that? I mean, probably not. I mean, maybe some of his historical reference may not exactly be accurate, but I, you know, I don't know. It, it's, you know, so far so good. It just sounds like we're off on the right foot, you know? And uh, you're thinking, what could possibly go wrong with a start off like that? Well, in fact, let me read to you uh, one of the gospel accounts of Palm Sunday. I'll take it from the gospel of Luke rather than the gospel of John, because there's more detail here. Uh, gospel of Luke chapter 19, starting at verse 28. And it reads, and when he had said these things, he went on ahead coming up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you why you are untying it, you shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down uh, the Mount of, Olive, of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Now, let's pay a little bit more attention to some of the details in this text because it'll help here. Um, now, notice in the text, it doesn't actually say that the palm branches symbolized victory. 
And this is where the setup goes wrong with T.D. Jakes, you know, because what he told us, I mean, although it sounds well and good, um, he's trying to create a symbol out of the palm branch that maybe isn't exactly what was going on because it's more than palm branches. So let me read that again. As he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. Now, granted, Jesus is getting a king's welcome. Mm -hmm. And all of the, the hubbub is very much a kingly procession. There's a lot more going on here. Uh, than just the laying down of palm branches. So what T.D. Jakes so soberly told us already is off on a bad footing when you start to kind of investigate the details, and he's making a big deal about the palm branches representing victory. Uh Uh-huh. I think I see the trap now. And you're going, there's a trap? Yes, there's a trap. Because uh, you know, what he said so soberly, although it sound reason, sounded reasonable, sounded plausible, sounded like he was trying to help us understand Old Testament types and shadows that point us to Jesus, um, the text itself says that they were praising God for the mighty works that they had seen. Yeah, that they had already seen. Not that, you know, that you know he was about to do but what he they had seen, and that's in the past tense. So um, we've got a problem here. The setup is bad when you start to check the details. I mean, it sounds sober. It doesn't sound crazy. It doesn't sound outlandish. Yep, but he's already set the trap. Let's see when he pulls the trigger to spring it. Here we go. That you absolutely were a conqueror and that you had total victory. The thing that I want you to think about this morning is that they have laid the palms down before the battle. Uh-huh. I see, oh boy. So they laid the palms down before the battle. But Luke says that they were praising God because of what they had already seen. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, we've got um, a problem. Okay, we continue. And so when Jesus begins to make his entrance toward Jerusalem, you will see the children started singing before him. Now the singing before a king. Yeah, now watch this because you think he's preaching about Jesus, right? No, he's not. He's actually preaching about you. Yeah, we continue. ...was a sign of victory to which Israel was familiar. You will remember that when David came into Saul's empire, it was the singing that caused Saul to become jealous. For the women ran out and said, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. They sung it after the battle to commemorate the victory. But again, the children are singing the victory before the battle has ever been fought. I want you uh, yeah, again, um, boy, this sounds reasonable, but the issue is is that um, they weren't praising Jesus's victory in battle. He was basically entering as a king. He was heading to his coronation. 
he wasn't yeah so we've got a problem here we're mixing metaphors and the significance of what's going on and he's about ready to literally spring the trap he's kind of baited you in thinking oh well this is a sound solid reasonable sounding handling of the story of palm sunday yet he didn't actually read the biblical text he says the palm branches symbolize victory in battle, and Jesus is being celebrated for a battle he has yet to actually fight. Now, it all of the details sound biblically solid, but something's off. Something's way, way off. Watch what he does next. If we do not do God a grave injustice in that we worry our way into battles... Yeah, no, um, this isn't a, the story of Jesus on Palm Sunday has nothing to do with Jesus showing us some model to follow about appraising uh, prior to battles so that we can win them or something like that. See, there was the turn right there. Yeah, he all of that setup was to then take this passage and rip it away from being about Jesus and somehow making it about you, like Jesus in this in this story of Palm Sunday, is somehow secretly revealing a pattern that we can follow and emulate so that we can experience victory in battles by praising God with palm branches symbolically uh, for the battle already won that we haven't even waged yet. Oh, man. Listen to a little bit more of this. Here we go. And we only shout when we have the victory. Can we really be the children of faith if we face challenging times with fear and timidity and uncertainty? Can we really say that we are like Jesus if we go into the battle afraid for the outcome? If we are truly people of faith, we don't have... Yeah, uh, the story of Jesus' triumphal entry on Palm Sunday is not about revealing a model that we're supposed to follow so that we can be like Jesus and have people sell. Notice that Jesus didn't pre-celebrate his victory in battle. In this text is not teaching us to do the same, and by doing so, you know, that somehow we're emulating Jesus. Yeah, see, so you take a text about Jesus, about King Jesus, about Jesus riding into Jerusalem, you know, to, you know, uh, literally, literally, you know, less than a week before his crucifixion on the cross for our sins. It's all about Jesus. And with this way of telling the story, you completely pull the carpet out from under Jesus and you know, throw Jesus off to the side and put yourself in the center and say, ta-da, it's about me to wait for the enemy to surrender, to know that we have the victory. Mm. Somebody who's already got the drop on this message, nudge your neighbor and say, the victory is mine. The, wh what? The victory is yours. No, the victory is Christ's. Oh my goodness. You're watching over that internet. Somebody just had you log on to the internet. You're facing a battle and a challenge right now, and God... Yeah, the battle I'm waging is against a heretic who's spewing false doctrine and taking a text about Jesus and making it about himself. I wanted you to hear this word. You will not get the victory being nervous, being worried, being depressed, being upset. The battle is not yours. It belongs to God. You yeah, this is not a story 
about our battles. Oh, man. Have to come into it triumphant. If you go in triumphant, you're going to come out of it triumphant. Somebody help me pray. Yeah, uh, no. The Bible doesn't teach that. Oh, man. Praise the Lord up in here. Yeah, I'm not going to praise the Lord up in there. I'm going to go to the second break and get out of here is what I'm going to do. I mean, so literally, I mean, it starts off, I mean, sounding sober, sounding somewhat reasonable. But when you start to check the details against a clear passage, you realize something isn't lining up. And then you that the, he's basically set everything up for a, a, a trap and then he springs it. And people don't even realize that what has actually happened. Whew, what a mess. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Quick break when we come back. A brilliant gospel sermon by Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley on Genesis 19 and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah, I know you're hearing that right. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. No, seriously. Starfleet wouldn't have lasted two minutes against the Death Star. Say what you want, dude. Why can't you admit that Star Trek created proton torpedoes first? So what are you saying? Without proton torpedoes, Luke Skywalker would never have been able to destroy the Death Star in the first place. Nuh-uh, bro. He had the Force. You mean midichlorians? That never happened. Those movies were just bad fanfics. Hey, have you two seen any Daleks around here? Uh, no. That's funny. We just picked up a distress signal and decided to check it out. Well, we haven't seen any... Come on, you two, get in! Run! Never fear, nerds of the world. It doesn't matter whether you're into Star Wars, Star Trek, or Doctor Who. Think Geek has something for almost every fandom around. Celebrate your love of all things nerdy by going to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash geek. And by clicking on the ad banner, a portion of your purchase will go to supporting Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. We're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. Just compare what you heard in hour number one to what you are about to hear. 
Like I said, it is the difference between darkness and light, error and truth. I mean, it, oh, I am so excited about this sermon, it's not even funny. But we must do this right. the ugly we review it all here at fighting for the faith we're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service today's sermon comes to us via bethel evangelical free church hanley stoke on trent in the united kingdom pastor gervais nicholas edward charmley presiding now i am not going to tell you the name of the sermon because if i tell you the name of the sermon you might be able to figure out how he's going to tease the gospel out and i don't want to mess up the punchline. <laughs> okay What you're going to be listening to here is Pastor Charmley, in his normal fashion, reading for us the text that will form the basis of his sermon. And the text is Genesis chapter 19 and the story of the judgment and destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, complete with the story of Lot and his family fleeing and Lot's wife turning into a pillar of salt And Lot's daughters getting Lot drunk and then, unfortunately, bearing children by their father. And you're thinking, how on earth is he going to pull the gospel out of that story? Just trust me when I tell you what Pastor Charmley does here is brilliant. It is absolutely brilliant. So, I'm again, I'm not going to tell you the name of the sermon because you'll figure out how he does it. And I want you to listen. All right, so let me kill the music here, and without any further ado, I'm going to kind of rename the sermon for today. Here is the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, renamed by me to hide something here, um, by Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley, and just trust me, this is going to be brilliant. And I'll chime in just for a brief moment here after he reads the text. Here we go. Our scripture reading this evening is taken from the book of Genesis. And chapter 19, Genesis, first book of the Bible, chapter 19. Previous chapter tells us of God's gracious promises to Abraham and how God, having decided to judge the city of Sodom and the cities round about, told Abraham of this plan and Abraham said to God, will you destroy the righteous with the wicked? And God said that for the sake of ten righteous men in that city, God would not destroy it. And so we come to chapter 19. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening. Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Hear now, my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night, and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. And they said, No, but we will spend the night in the open square. But he insisted strongly, so they turned in to him, and entered his house. Then he made them a feast, baked unleavened bread, and they ate. 
And before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter, surrounded the house. And they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out, that we may know them carnally. So Lot went out to them through the doorway, shut the door behind him and said, Please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. See, now I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you. And you may do to them as you wish, only do nothing to these men. This is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. And they said, Stand back. Then they said, This one came in to stay here, and he keeps acting as a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. So they pressed hard against the man Lot and came near to break down the door. The men reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they became weary trying to find the door. And the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whomever you have in this city, take them out of this place, for we will destroy this place. Because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who had married his daughters. And said, get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But to his sons-in-law he seemed to be joking. When the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. While he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. So it came to pass, when they had brought them outside, that he said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. Then Lot said to them, Please know, my lords, indeed now your servant has found favour in your sight, and you have increased your mercy which you have shown me by saving my life, but I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me and I die. See now, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Please let me escape there, is it not a little one, and my soul shall live. And he said to him, See, I have favoured you concerning this thing also, in that I will not overthrow this city for which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore the name of the city was called Zor. The sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zor. Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of heaven. So he overthrew those cities, all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. But his wife looked back behind him, and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. Then he looked towards Sodom and Gomorrah, and toward all the land of the plain, and he saw, and behold, the smoke of the land which went up like the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain, that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. 
that Lot went up out of Zor and dwelt in the mountains. And his two daughters were with him. He was afraid to dwell in Zor. And he and his two daughters dwelt in a cave. Now the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is no man on the earth to come in to us, as is the custom of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him. We may preserve the lineage of our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. And he did not, he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. It happened on the next day, the firstborn said to the younger, Indeed, I lay with my father last night. Let us also make him drink wine tonight also. And you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve the lineage of our father. And they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. And thus both the daughters of Lot were with child by their father. The firstborn bore a son called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. And the younger, she also bore a son and called his name Ben Ami. He is the father of the people of Ammon to this day. We trust God to bless the reading of this most solemn portion of his most holy word. All right, so there's the text that forms the basis of this sermon. And you're, thinking, you're probably thinking what I was thinking when I first heard this. Where is Jesus in the gospel in that? Oh, watch this Watch this move. <laughs> Pastor Charmley is not going to keep you in suspense. He's going to go straight to the gospel. Watch what he does here. We continue. Our text this evening is found in the chapter that we read, Genesis chapter 19, verse 29. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain, that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. This is one of those chapters that's always difficult to read with its catalogue of sin and wickedness. And in the midst of it we have this great word that Lot was brought out not for his own sake but for the sake of another an intercessor the head of his family who made intercession for him in the midst of the fiery destruction and so that judgment that fell spared him not for his own sake but for Abraham's sake and he points us to this great fact that all those who are delivered from the wrath to come will be delivered not for their own sake but for the sake of the Lord Jesus our great intercessor the one who makes intercession for the transgressors who by his precious blood intercedes for us sinners that we shall be saved and so, in this chapter, we are brought face to face with human depravity, first of all. Then we see the great deliverance that God wrought for Lot. Also, we see something of the decay in Lot's own person. He is not spared because he was 
a great righteous man, but because of another, another's prayers, another's righteousness, another's intercession. So we see depravity, deliverance, and decay. And first of all we see the depravity, the angels came into Sodom, sent as it were on a divine fact-finding mission. Now God knew of course, God is not ignorant of what is going on in the earth, he knows all things. He knows what is past, he knows what is to come. He sends the angels as a witness that he knows. The angels were sent into that wicked city of Sodom. And Lot, sitting in the gate, saw them and rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face toward the ground. Now the seat in the gate was a position of somebody who had authority. The gate was the courthouse. It was where the council sat. So Lot is sitting as a sort of elder of the city may well be that because of what Abraham had done in delivering the people of Sodom from the invaders who had captured many of them, the king of Sodom decided to put Lot in a position of authority. But the people of Sodom did not appreciate him as a judge, as a man in authority. And Lot knew the character of the people of the city. He saw these strangers coming and he knew that the people of the city, the men of the city, would wish to abuse them. That these people were lost, people of Sodom were lost to all shame. But Lot received the visitors, took them into his house. He fed them. He sought to protect them. He had some understanding of the sacred duty of hospitality, such a great thing in the East. Something of an idea of respect for strangers, but the people of the town did not. And the wicked men of that town, the city surrounded the house and made this infamous and vile demand. The angels had come to see the wickedness of Sodom and they saw it. Verse 4 we are told that the men from all over the city came, all sorts of men from all sorts of parts, it's not just one little group but they were all of them corrupted, no self-control and given over to unnatural lusts. And Lot sought to spare these. Now his attempt to restrain them was flawed in so many ways. He offered his own daughters to them. He did not simply rebuke them, but he sought to give something to save these men. He knew how vile they were, these men of Sodom. And he did not know his visitors were angels, but God, the power of God, smote the wicked men, and they could not do what they sought to do. So much 
of God's work in this present fallen world is a work of restraining people, holding them back. They cannot do all that the sinful heart of man desires to do. God lays a restraint upon people. Now here, of course, it was a very obvious restraint. He kept their eyes from seeing. The word used for blindness here does not mean they could not see at all, but they could not see what they wanted to see. They were looking for the door. They could see something, but they could not see the door. And they wearied themselves trying to find it. Lot did not need to make his sinful attempt to keep the men from doing what they wanted to do, for God would hold them back. For the evidence comes the sinfulness of man. And as we look through human history, we find that again and again the wickedness of man is revealed. We find, despite all men's efforts and attempts to say, well, things are getting better. Things are getting better. They're not. And time and again you hear that. In 1914, before the First World War broke out, oh, man is more civilized than he ever was. There will be no more great wars when the great war breaks out. And a century of warfare and violence. And now we hear people saying, well, the 20th century was just an anomaly. And things are really getting better. And we say, no, they are not. Man is the same. Human nature is fallen. These men of Sodom, they were left to their own devices to develop their wickedness. But all men are sinners. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But to Lot came a message. A message that God would deliver. So we come to our second point, the deliverance. And the message, first of all, is a message of judgment to come. We will destroy this place. Sodom is going to be destroyed. It is doomed. God declares that his judgment will come. Even as he sent Jonah to cry out in Nineveh, yet forty days and Nineveh shall be destroyed. So God sends his oracles of judgment. His message that this world will be judged. That all men must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That he is the judge of all the earth. And we must answer for the things that we do. All these words come forth from God. He tells us of the wrath to come. Of the fire that awaits. And he tells us of that, not that we may despair, but that we may flee from the wrath to come. The people of Sodom as a whole were not told that Sodom was going to be destroyed. The only ones who heard it from what we can gather from our chapter 
is the son, sons-in-law of Lot, who most likely were betrothed to his daughters but had not yet fully married them. And he told them of the judgment to come. And what a mercy that was, that their connection with this family, this part of the house of Abraham, led them to hear the news that judgment is coming. God sent John the Baptist to preach repentance. He tells his prophets of a judgment to come, or a wrath to come, that those who hear may flee, may run, may escape to the mountain. But the sons-in-law of Lot, they laughed him to scorn. They seemed to be joking. He seemed to them to be joking. As the scoffers who say, where is the promise of his coming? When they are told that Christ is coming again in glory to judge the living and the dead, say it's been 2,000 years. It hasn't happened yet. What makes you think it will happen? Because God has said so, is why we believe and we know that it will happen. God declares this, that men may run. He tells them of a refuge, escape to the mountains. There is a place to run to. There is a place of safety. And we sang in that glorious hymn that Graham Harrison translated of that refuge, that rock of ages in whom we may find shelter from the storms of God's judgment. In the rock of ages hiding come their flood of fiery blaze. When the whole creation crumbles, rock of ages, thee I'll praise. There's the refuge. There is a hill to which God's people fly. It is the hill of Calvary where Christ was crucified, where the cross is, and to the cross we cling, and there we find refuge, and we find refuge in the name of the Lord, in the name of Christ Jesus, who has loved us, and who has borne that bitter sentence, that fiery wrath of God was poured out upon him there. There he bore all incarnate God could bear with strength enough for none to spare. There's a refuge from the wrath to come and a divine salvation. Lot and his family, they lingered. And we think how ridiculous, how amazing that these people who believed the wrath of God was coming, they lingered in the city. But the angels took hold of their hands and dragged them out. God, we may say, forced them out of the city. 
Their wills were hesitating, undecided, but God forced them out. And Lot would not look back and say, how dare God force my will, but he would look at what had happened and say, what a marvellous God this is, who forced me out of Sodom and into the refuge. Just as the Himmeriter says, marvelling at the love of God, was that same love that spread the feast, that sweetly forced me in. Else I had still refused to taste and perished in my sin. And there was Lot hesitating, and God applied that force to him. And some of us must surely say that in a manner of speaking God took us by the hands and forced us to come to Christ dragged us to the foot of the cross and there opened the heart for he has an instrument with which to do it and we are not offended by that fact but we marvel that God would be so gracious as to open the heart and force his way in and save us despite ourselves, even as Lot was dragged out. Oh, what a merciful force this was. Oh, what a loving force. Oh, what a loving dragging by the hand. Christ does indeed drag us to himself at times. And oh, how we marvel and rejoice when he has done so. And are thankful that he dragged us out. And why, why this want of love to Lot, this man who hesitated and still really wanted to live in that wicked city, Ah, it is our text again, you see. When God destroyed the city of the plain, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow. God remembered Abraham. There was an intercessor. There was one who had prayed. And there was one who prayed yet and one to whom Lot was related. His uncle Abraham the friend of God. And oh, when it comes to that eternal kingdom, when Christ comes again in glory, and his people are there set at his right hand, they shall be there not for their merits, their goodness, their righteousness, but because of him. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins. He is the one who spares us. And God rained down brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah. And that land that had been like the Garden of Eden to look upon was like hell to look upon. And those people had a little foretaste of that eternal hell and that fiery judgment that is to come. 
and all that was there was burned up and the pleasant fields around the Jordan were reduced to ashes and sprinkled with brimstone and with sulphur and all that men that Lot had set his heart upon was destroyed and the wrath of God fell but all Lot and his family were safe those who were brought out and brought into that city of refuge they were safe because they were brought there by God and through God's intercession and so God's people on that final day when the creation shall be burned up with fire shall be safe sheltered in the Lord Jesus Christ kept and preserved because he is our intercessor our mediator and advocate the one who is able to do far more than Abraham for Christ has carried the sentence himself he cried out on the cross my God, my God why have you forsaken me for there hell came up to meet the Saviour and the wrath of God came down and he bore the penalty for you and for me and our judgment came on him and there is no judgment for the people of God no condemnation for Christ has been condemned and has fully paid the price has served the sentence completely and all who are in him are free a saviour indeed and it was not because of Lot's righteousness that he was spared we come then to our third point the decay Lot had loved Sodom he wanted to stay there that's why the angels had to drag him out his wife had looked back and longed to be there and so she was she shared the fate of the people there but he though the root of the matter was in him he was a righteous man who was vexed by the wickedness of Sodom and yet he was a righteous man who had loved the world too much having loved the world and the things in the world he suffered loss he comes to us as one who was saved yet as through fire as a brand plucked from the burning with the smell of the fire still around him for this world is passing away and all that it desires and yes indeed those who love it too much who are yet the Lord's and have the root of the matter in them will be saved because that salvation is based not upon us but on Christ but will suffer loss Abraham looked at the overthrow of Sodom and his only thought was for Lot he did not long for what was in Sodom but he sought a better country even a heavenly one Lot had his heart set too much 
upon that earthly camp, that earthly country that looked to him like the Garden of Eden. And it was burned up. The earth and all that is in it shall be. But Christ, the eternal inheritance of the saints, he is untouched. He is the same yesterday, today and forever. And the heart set on Christ shall never be disappointed. Lot sadly came to a sad end. It is painful to read the end of this chapter, verses 30 through 38. And the wickedness that Lot's daughters fell into, they desired what is not necessarily a bad thing, but is a good thing that the family name should go on. They did not trust in God to do it, but in that which was wicked and against nature. And the result of their sin was the nations of Moab and the people of Ammon. Nations that would be enemies of Israel. Out of that wickedness came more wickedness. And yet, something else as well. For the firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites. And from Moab there came a young woman called Ruth. A young woman who was confronted, as Lot was, that on the one hand the world and all that it has, and on the other hand the suffering of the people of God. And she, by the grace of God, went with the people of God to suffer. And from her there came King David, the Lord's anointed, the King, by whom every other king of Israel would be judged, the man after God's own heart, a deliverer, a saviour, who when all, el- all others fled from the face of Goliath of Gath, went bravely to the giant, armed with a sling and a stone, and defied him in the name of the living God, and slew him in the name of the living God, and delivered the people of God, and set them free. And from that man, David, from that line there comes a Saviour who is Christ the Lord, a deliverer, who frees us from the wrath to come, who overcomes the devil and death and sin, who has conquered for his own people and is coming again in glory. Even from this sad end we find there is Christ, the Saviour, waiting, concealed under the name of Moab, there is the Lord Jesus at the end of it all. The one who is Lot's Saviour and ours. The one who can make of sinners priests and kings unto God the one who comes oh yes in judgment upon this wicked world but comes for his own as a saviour to save completely and fully and finally when God destroyed the cities of the plague God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst 
of the overthrow. And when God destroys the current creation, he shall remember the Lord Jesus Christ and deliver all who are his out of the midst of the overthrow and bring them, bring us into a new heavens and a new earth, a new creation in which righteousness dwells. And so from this often depressing chapter of the Bible, we are pointed to the glories of Christ, a saviour, a deliverer, an intercessor, a friend of sinners, a redeemer, who has passed beyond the heavens and is sat down at the right hand of God. We see here that sin matters, God is patient. But he is not weak. He is a judge. There is a wrath to come. And there is one who delivers us from the wrath to come. This world is passing away. But Christ brings that eternal rest. And that eternal world. That shall never pass away. Oh then may we. When it comes to pass. That God destroys this world. And Christ comes again. May it be that God, remembering his Son, delivers all of us, each of us here, out of the midst of that overthrow, for the sake of Christ. Amen. Amen. I told you it was a brilliant sermon. What would you think? I loved it. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian or follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Till next week, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.